0: Would you turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 2, 20-21? And you may recall that Thad and I are preaching our way through 2 Timothy. So as we read, consider how what is written to Timothy as a minister of the Word. He does this right after Paul talks about false teachers, how that applies to Timothy. But also consider how it applies to us, to you, and to this church. So again, our text this morning is 2 Timothy 2, 20-21. This is the Word of God. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. Would you speak to us this morning? Cleanse us so that we may hear. Make us ready for your service. And Lord, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know about your house, but in my parents' house, there is the special silverware, right? It's gold-plated, I think, or at least gold-colored. And they, they treat it uh, better than they treat me, my parents, <laughs> because they're, like, very careful with it. They only use it once or twice a year, and they keep it in a special wooden box with felt little slots for it so it has a nice, comfortable home during the year. And, it, you know, they, when they use it, they don't just throw it in the dishwasher. No, no, no. That's too, no. You have to hand wash this. And it's very, very, they take great great care and pride in it. And they use it for their special occasions. They, it's their, their, their silverware to honor. And, of course, it doesn't, they don't use it when they break out their paper plates. They've got the, the special plates with holly leaves on them. I don't know, these the Christmas plates. And it's, those are also very, you know, only broken out once and have a special home. And they take great care and pride in it, and it's very nice, very fancy, it's, it's neat. And I know it's a special occasion when I see that silverware broken out. What they don't do for a Christmas dinner, Christmas Eve dinner, or for the fancy dinners, is they don't break out the plasticware. right? That's for a picnic when you don't want to do dishes and you just want to throw everything away, you use the plasticware with the paper plates, right? And you don't mix the two. Uh, But yeah, so you kind of have these two ways to serve dinner. Both serve the same function of getting the food into your mouth, right? But one is very honorable. The other is dishonorable. And uh, Paul uses this illustration to talk about, let's not be the dishonorable, not that plasticware is sinful, or in his case, uh, wood and clay as his thing. Uh, because there were vessels for honor for the master of the house and the wood and clay things uh, some commentators say were used for garbage or even excrement. But the point is, is that there's sort of things you want to be associated with and things you don't want to be associated with. Things of honor, things of dishonor. And so Paul is basically telling Timothy you have an option. There's an option here. We, we can go to the honorable route or the dishonorable route as a minister of the gospel. And in the previous paragraph, Paul has given two examples of dishonorable people as, in terms of how they act towards God's people and in God's house. And those are Hymenaeus and Philetus. If we look at verse 18, we see that they uh, have swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. So here we have... Two people who are preaching false doctrine, doing what is dishonorable in the house of the Lord. Teaching false doctrine, which leads people to ungodliness, as verse 16 says, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And so Paul is telling Timothy, look, because you belong to the Lord, serve Him as an honorable vessel. You see, because Timothy does belong to the Lord, if we look at verse 19, we see that the Lord knows whose or His. The Lord knows that you belong to Him. It's not a secret. He knows. And Timothy has personally experienced this, uh, for he knows God's grace. Paul says that about Timothy. In verse chapter 2, verse 1, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's saying, Timothy, you know it. You've experienced it, be, continue to be strengthened in it. Timothy is well aware of the right doctrine. Timothy knows that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. And that we see in 2.8 where he says, Remember Jesus Christ, Remember, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And so because Timothy belongs to the Lord, he is to serve the Lord accordingly. And that, that's, that's the function. Because we belong to the Lord, we must serve Him. But sometimes we also have a choice, like Timothy, between honor and dishonor. Timothy is instructed not to take the dishonorable route like Hymenaeus and Philetus, even though it could be appealing to take that route because that route can actually lead to fame, maybe influence, Riches maybe, less suffering for sure, less drama in his life, and definitely less confrontation with others. So that could be the nice route. It is, can be tempting. And we are tempted to pursue those things instead of the honorable route, instead of what Christ has done in our search for comfort and personal peace. But we, like Timothy, must remember that we belong to the Lord. We are members of His house. We have experienced His grace. His love has been set upon us. And so let us serve Him. And so if we, are, if we belong to the Lord, we are called to transformation. Transformation. If you look in our passage, there is a mention of Transformation. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable. It's this idea of moving from dishonor to honor through a cleansing. And Timothy used to do that by moving from dishonor to honor to proclaiming the true gospel and avoiding false doctrine and false living. To depart from iniquity as 2.19 says. The transformation though comes in our person and it is displayed through our doctrine and deeds as one commentator puts it. Doctrine and deeds. That is what you believe and what you do. Another way to say it is our faith and love as Paul does in chapter 1 verse 13. These things are closely intertwined and God has called a movement from dishonor to honor. And it it involves doctrine and deeds because our doctrine informs our deeds. As verse 16, like I read earlier, but avoid irreverent babble, that is false teaching and, and silly teaching, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. But, no matter how pure our doctrine is, we still have an indwelling sin that needs to be transformed. This cleansing, what does it mean? It, it's a repentance and a trust in God which brings about new life. If we look at chapter 1, verse 12, we see an example of that. Paul says, I know whom I have believed. That is, God, Paul has belief and trust in Him. And again, 2.19 is so important because it sets up our passage. It says, but God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. That is, that is, though the Lord knows who are His. That is, the Lord knows who has believed in Him, trusted and repented, and depart from iniquity. Transformed life. It's not and stay away from iniquity. It's depart from in- iniquity. Because the ugly secret about transformation is, is that it, it, you acknowledge you have sinned. You have erred. You have made a mistake. You have rebelled against the God of the universe. And that you need to be transformed. But the good news is, is that God does transform. He takes us and our sinfulness, and turns it into a holy, useful vessel. And 219 is a quote from Numbers 16. And there's something else that happens in number 16, which is quite the transformation. And that's what's known as Korah's Rebellion. If you don't know about Korah, that's okay. I'm going to tell you. But Korah is a member of the tribe of Israel, marching in the desert with the rest of Israel, with Moses as the leader, and he's got a problem. You see, he's like, Moses, why are you number one? Because we're all holy before God, so why do you get to be the, the head honcho guy, right? And Moses is like, look, I didn't choose this, God chose this. This is just the way it is. I don't, I, I'm sorry. And Korah, so the, fast forward a little bit. Basically, Moses says, all right, God's going to show us who's going to lead, and, and who's in the right here. So he tells Korah to get 250 of his uh, people that are with him on this endeavor to get their sensors and stand in the middle of a field or, or in an area they are together. And these sensors are, I don't know what they're made of, but the pictures I saw online, which are not what they would have had, but the way they're done now, they look like egg holders, just the way they're shaped but uh, they're like uh, golden or metal vessels that you fire burns in, and it releases incense There would be a censer in the temple. But they have their censers. Why a censer? I don't know, but they have them. And the Lord judges these people, and now they're, they have died. They were not right. They were not in the right. But the Lord says this to Moses go and take the censers that they have used and beat them out and attach them to the exterior of the ark. Which is crazy, right? So here are the instruments used in rebellion against God and His own people and purposes that God takes and shapes to cover the ark which would sit in the holiest of holy places where God met with man. The ark which holds the manna and the commandments is covered in rebellion, in a sense. But not pure rebellion, but a transformed rebellion. You see, that's what is happening in our passage. It's a transformed rebellion. We have gone from dishonor to honor and it can only be done by Christ. And then it becomes a holy Set apart as holy. An honorable use. Just like the censors went from a dishonorable use to an honorable use. So, God calls us to the same. And this transformation, the good news is, it's open to anyone. And if any of you here today don't know Jesus, never followed Him, never trusted Him, for His transformation, that's okay. We're glad you're here. Perhaps you're thinking you've done too much, or we just don't know how bad it is. But if you've never trusted Him, now's the time. You see, because there's no one so broke that God can't fix it, and there's no one too dirty that God can't cleanse them. God offers forgiveness, cleansing, and a transformation to all through his son Jesus Christ. It's a movement from dishonor to honor and holiness. He's a transforming God through his son. But if you are <clears throat> if you have trusted Jesus this morning, then you continue in your belief, believing the gospel every day, knowing that our ultimate transformation comes from it. But are we transformed every day by it? When we repent, what do we do? Let me rephrase that. When we sin, what do we do? I already gave the answer. We should repent. When you mess up with your spouse, when you mess up with your kids, what do you do? Do you hide it? Do you defend yourself? Or do you confess and repent? When you speak evil, or you think evil thoughts, Or you turn away from those in need. Repentance. Because we believe in the gospel. We believe that no matter what we've done, or when we've done it, God will forgive. That transformation is what we need every day. That's why every week, we have a confession of sin up here, every week, because we need it every week, not just some of us, all of us, but it's never without the assurance of pardon at the end to let our our weak and frail hearts know that God loves us and forgives us, and that's the beauty of the gospel, is that every day it brings transformation and empowers us through His love to live and serve Him, to be transformed not only in our hearts and our minds and our actions, but in our whole life. You see, it's the honorable vessel from our passage that trusts in God's grace, that trusts in this transformation. The dishonorable vessel would be self reliant, defensive, and evasive regarding their own sin, which shows that they're trusting in themselves and not in God's grace completely. It is God's grace, which applies Jesus' saving work to us, which transforms. And that's on offer. So let us all trust in Him and in that gospel, which transforms every day. But God transforms us for a purpose. He transforms us so that we can be useful servants. So that we can be useful servants. Look at verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for what? Honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to whom? To the master of the house. Cleansing or transformation leads to the honorable use, to being set apart as holy and useful to the master of the house. But the question is, okay, what does that mean to be useful? How does one become useful to god useful to the master is it if you have elegant speech i hope not otherwise i'd never be used but um we also know that's not true because moses complained to god i stammer i don't talk too good so why don't you get somebody else and is it is it being perfect having no need to confess sin? Is that how we become useful to God? Well, again, I hope not. But David shows us the one who committed adultery and murder shows us that it's not perfection. But pretty much every other character in the Bible shows us that perfection is not how we become useful to God. Is it being famous, famous, wise, or rich? No, God uses the weak and foolish, by, at least foolish by worldly standards. He uses them for his own purposes. As we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing that things are. So that is, God is using things that the world considers foolish and silly and unwise. Paul, for his part, was used. How was he made useful by God? Well, we see that in 1 Timothy 1, verse 16, which says, But I received mercy for this reason, for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, that is foremost sinner, which is in the previous verse, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul is essentially saying this. I was a really bad guy who definitely didn't deserve grace because I persecuted God's people and condoned murder. And yet here I am, preaching grace. So Paul's basically saying this, if I can be saved, anybody can be saved. If God's willing to forgive me, He can forgive anyone. Paul becomes useful in his testimony, in his story. Paul has learned to be to boast in his strength, no, in his weakness. We see that in Second Corinthians twelve, eight through ten. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. That is this thorn in the flesh. But He said to me, "That is uh, Christ. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast." Then Paul continues, "Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness." so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul begins to boast in his weakness. That is, he is useful in that, inasmuch as he admits his weakness. Hudson Taylor says this, All God's giants have been weak people. So we see that God finds us useful when we find Him beautiful. That is, when our hearts long for Him and we depend on His grace, love, peace, and promises. When we rest in His strength, not our own. And we do this in all our life. We, some get this passage, the order of this passage, backwards. They say, yeah, okay, I want to be cleansed, so what I'm going to do is be useful to the Lord. Then He'll see I'm worthy of His forgiveness and He will cleanse and transform me. But that's getting it backwards. We can never reverse the order of this passage. This passage is very clear that if we are cleansed, then we become, one of the things, useful. The cleansing comes before usefulness. That is because it is our admission of sin and our repentance and our trust in God which God finds useful which God uses to His own glory. We are useful, not so we can get His transforming grace, but because we know His transforming grace. And then we can point people to the Savior who gave that to us. You see, something is useful if it is fit to the task at hand. If I want to carve a nice uh, instrument in wood, and I get out my handy tool, it's not going to work, right? This is not a useful tool to carve in wood, to carve a nice little figurine in wood. This is a very useful instrument for writing, okay? If you want to write, this is the thing you get out. If you want to carve wood, you break out a knife. But the question is, what is the task at hand for us? What are we to be useful for? Well, I think our passage uh, and the whole Bible would answer that simply as to point people to Jesus. We're useful to point people to Jesus. That's the task of us as individuals, us as a whole church. We're to be useful for that. And that's why you should pay attention to the staff, elders, and the pastors and the deacons of this church to make sure that we're pointing people to Jesus. But the only way we can do this, and by the way, I think, we're, I think they do a great job of that, but that is their task. But the only way they can point people to Jesus is if they know Jesus and know His transforming grace. Would you ask someone who's never been sick, never been to the doctor, about their opinions on cancer doctors? No, but you would if they've had cancer and had a great recovery. Which doctor did you use? I want that one. Well, the sickness that we're talking about is not cancer, but the sin in our world. And we should all, if you claim Jesus here, you should know his transforming power and be able to point people to it, to be useful for that purpose, to point people to Jesus. Not because you know a lot, but because you know Jesus and what he's done in your life. And so one of the other things this means about us as individuals, as a church, is that we can be open and honest about the struggles we have in our own lives. We don't need to pretend to be perfect. That's what the dishonorable vessel does. They point to themselves, showing that they're great, and that they, like the Pharisee, can pray, thank you, Lord, that I am not like sinners like this man. That's the prayer that says, I am great. I don't need transformation. But we, the honorable vessel, points to Jesus and how he has transformed them and worked in their lives. So the honorable vessel is free to admit their own weaknesses. Because when we point to, acknowledge our own weaknesses, we can then point To the one who is strong. That is how we are useful. And so when we become transformed, we also become useful. But we also become ready for every good work. Ready for every good work. Look at verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Paul has this theology of being cleansed, being redeemed, and transformed so that you might do good works. We can look at Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Many people will memorize 8 and 9, which is good. I'm glad you're memorizing. But Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, I think are important together. For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For why? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, another word for created in christ Jesus is saved or transformed those who have repented and believed in Jesus have been created in him why for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so that so that's that's this theology of good works that transformation comes and then empowers good works Again, don't reverse it. It's not good works so you can get the transformation. It's, you're transformed so that you might do the good works. What are good works? We can look at a couple of passages. I'm going to look at one here. Um, <clears throat> 2.22. Paul's in the next passage is going to talk about this. Some of the things he wants Timothy to do. Flee useful passions and pursue righteousness Faith, love, and peace. It's this idea of, and in 2.19, which is the previous verse to our passage, it's depart from iniquity. Here it's a fleeing and a pursuing of righteousness, fleeing uh, youthful passage and pursuing righteousness. That's good deeds. And we're also to have sound doctrine, the right doctrine and the right deeds. And we see that in the previous passage, 2.15. Do yourself, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That is, rightly understanding, rightly proclaiming what God has said in His word. And our doctrine drives our deeds, as we see in Titus 3.8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Those who believe should be doing good works. But, so that, that's the nature of good works. But how are we made ready? How is Timothy to be made ready to do good works? Well, let's turn to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Well, three seventeen says this, that the man of God may be competent equipped for every good work you hear that every good work how is the man of god competent and equipped for every good work well that's 316 by knowing the scriptures which are breathed out by god you profitable for teaching and reproof correction and for training in righteousness matter of fact 2 Timothy 316 and 17 is one of the i mean it's one of the most important text on the doctrine of the Word of God. It's so important that I'm trying to get the youth to memorize it. And I'm offering them full-size candy bars if they can memorize it. And uh, a few of them have taken, up, taken me up on it, but any youth out there who haven't, there you go. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17, memorize it. Full-size candy bar. It's important. But the man of God is equipped to do good works... Because of the Scriptures. Because of what they teach. Because it is what God has said. He has spoken and it has been recorded and maintained so that even today we can read the very words of God. It is the thing that contains the doctrine and deeds we need to believe and do. And so that is why our denomination, I mean and many others, Put an emphasis on biblical education for our ministers. If they want to be ready to speak about God, they have to know what God has already said through His Word. And we want them to be faithful proclaimers of God's Word. We would rather them be faithful over famous. I like that phrase faithful over famous. That's from my Christian rap song. Um, And I think that's clever. Because the draw to be famous is for anybody. It's strong, but what do we want? We don't want people who are well-known per se. We want people who are faithful. Faithful. Now, how many of you out there are famous dads? Famous workers? You're not. But what can you be? You can be faithful. You can be a faithful dad. You can be a faithful worker. A faithful brother, a faithful sister. Faithful over famous. Unfortunately, in Uganda, the most famous of ministers are mostly prosperity preachers. Those who preach really no gospel at all. And unfortunately, some of the most well-known in America are the same. But if this is God's Word, and He has spoken then we, like Augustine, need to pick it up and read. We need to memorize it. But because this is God's Word, this is why we preach it every Sunday. Because every Sunday, God speaks through His Word. God is preparing you right now. Preparing me for every good work. If there is something to believe or do, it is recorded in God's Word. And and this Word makes us ready for them. There's a Christian meme out there that says this. Complaining about God being silent when your Bible is closed is like complaining about not getting texts when your phone is turned off. We need to be ready to hear from God through His Word so that we can be ready for every good work. Now, we've seen the number. We've completed the capital campaign. There will be a new portion of the church building out there. But our work isn't done. The question is, we have a choice like Timothy. How are we going to use that space? For honor or dishonor? Because it belongs to the Lord, we should use it to serve Him. We need to let it be a place where people are called to transformation. Through the Gospel. A place where useful people are proclaiming the Gospel that they themselves know. It is a place where people... It is to be a place where people learn the Word of God and its message about Jesus Christ. Let it be a place where people are prepared for every good work. And let us pray that God makes it that kind of place. Let us prepare ourselves as individuals and as a church now to use that space for His useful service. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that not only do You save us, but You call us to service. Show us where that is to be. As we go about our lives through this week, may we point people to Jesus because we know Him through Your Word and through our own lives. And Lord, we thank you that you are a transforming God. Help us to walk in that every day. And may your name be glorified and served through these people in this church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.